we've been looking at the fundamentals of what it means to be uh, a congregation, to be a church, and how the people behaved and responded uh, right after the day of Pentecost when the church began, and why it was that their lives were so dramatically impacted by what had happened. And it was truly because people had been looking for a long time uh, for the deep answers uh, that life presented to them and the questions that it brought to, to bear on how they understood who God was. And you could look at um, uh, Anna in the temple whenever Jesus was born and she had been praying and she had been anticipating that moment to all of the people who were living under the oppression of the Roman government and even religious leaders who were not doing a very good job of being signposted to God. When that day came after Jesus died and was resurrected and then he went on to ascend uh, 40 days later, when that day came where Jesus said, okay, it is on, um, it changed everything. And a lot of people said, what we just witnessed and what we've seen for the last three years is, it is unlike anything that we, we, we ever imagined could happen. And they were profoundly excited about the fact that what Jesus did when he came, what he accomplished, how he affected all of life and even creation, uh, they couldn't contain themselves. And there is something about the aftermath of everything Jesus did and the impact on these first followers that I, I tried to capture in sharing this message uh, series with you. And, and, and once again, I just want to reset it. I want to look one more time at Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. And I want to just um, read it quickly and capture the spirit of what you see happening here. Imagine the gathering of people, not unlike ourselves, who were looking for the answer, and they found it in Jesus. And in response to that, the scripture says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, it was a heartfelt devotion. It was something that said, we need this teaching as a lifeline, because it is the one thing that sustains the new hope that satisfies us. And to the fellowship, we cannot do it alone, and we need each other. It can't be a private individualized experience with God, but it has to be interacting with others. And to the breaking of bread, there is no way that this can keep going unless we keep remembering that covenant that he established in the upper room and knowing that it is the boundary marker that defines the circle that we live in and the prayers. That conversation that we continually have with God that invites him into the process of our lives and us being invited into the process of this kingdom. And as a result, this word awe came over every soul. And I, uh, we use that word awesome so much it almost doesn't have any weight anymore. But if you can just think of that deep respect that the author of creation and all of life garners when we come into his presence. And that's what they did. And they felt it. Because it said it came upon, and I like the usage of the word, every soul. Because we can 
we can come into a place like this and we can wear, you know, nice clothes and, 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 and good presentation and, 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 and on the outside, you know, look like it's all well and good, but on the inside there's that part of us, that part that is hungering to be made whole, that part that says, I need to be made right with, with God and with other people and with all of creation. And that's our soul. It is just that deepest part of our being that really essentially is our true self. And at the deepest level, the people were saying, this is profoundly incredible what we just witnessed and now what we're a part of. And as a result of that, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It was a fantastic movement of spirit and morale and unity and purpose all bundled into the proclamation of the gospel and living it out. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All of a sudden, the things that had defined them were no longer as important as they used to be. Because what defines them now is their new relationship with God and with each other. And so they're looking around and they're saying, I've been spending my whole life accumulating all these things because, well, if I don't have them, then I don't have security. But all of a sudden, I found I have a new security in God, and I'm more than willing to be generous now. And so they gave their possessions and their belongings to people that had need, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people, with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it's really a beautiful encapsulation of everything that we're called to be. But it's so hard, like anything, to keep perpetuating indefinitely. Now why is that? And I think part of it is we just get distracted, don't we? Pretty soon, the new kind of wears off and the old begins to, to, to creep back in. Or the intensity of the moment kind of wanes because, honestly, we can't be intense all the time, can we? And yet, that vision is still there. It is still a flame that we tend that sometimes it kind of comes down to just a, a small little flicker. And other times we stoke it and it begins to emerge as a powerful fire. And the church has always known those moments where it's up and down and up and down. But it's always gone back to those fundamentals. And we have to do that. And, and, and life is like that. It ebbs and flows. We have seasons where it goes well. We have seasons where not so well. Seasons where we're focused. Seasons where we're distracted. And all that to say that as we gather every Sunday, God is trying to rekindle the substance of why we're here. And every week I, I try to help in that process to rekindle that. And some weeks doing it better than others, some seasons doing it better than others. All to underscore the fact that we can only do this together when we're focused on keeping the main thing the main thing. Interestingly enough, this week, um, I, I was intending on having uh, my friend, um, and, and I know Roger Hack's a, a longtime friend, 
uh, Bob Truby come, and I was going to share this message with Bob in light of all of the exciting things that are happening uh, with InterVarsity Fellowship down on, on the campus in Columbus and then throughout the country. Uh, you've probably heard Bob come and speak a few times and share some of the things that they are trying to kindle, some of the things that they're trying to see fire uh, begin to emerge out of. And I know that in those seasons, he was he was just trying to trying to tend to that flame and trying to expand on it and and, and blow a little wind into it and, and see it begin to, to to grow. And it's been exciting to talk to him lately because he's been sharing with me uh, how in this season, in this time where there's great discontent, uh, especially among college students, that, um, that that the response of college students right now to the gospel. Uh, it, it has actually been more powerful than ever, and and, and they're seeing they're seeing a season of a, a great benefit, uh, and all the hard labors that they put into it, beginning to show all of the fruit that uh, that's come out of that. And I, I'm really stoked to hear that. And so he called me Friday, and he said, "I hate to tell you this, Leonard, but." Um, I'm not going to be able to make it. Me and my wife and I, we both have the flu and we're not getting past it. And he said, I, I know that uh, you probably don't want us to come and share that. And I said, Bob, as much as I would love to see you, you're probably right. There are some things that we share. There's some things we keep to ourselves, right? And there's some things we can't help but share even if we're trying to keep it to ourselves. And, and, and so Friday, I'm kind of scrambling thinking, all right, now I've got the message, how do I present it uh, differently uh, in the small window that I have? And so what I thought I would do is, is I wanted to look at those verses in, in just that larger frame of, of, of what is working there. You see a picture, and a picture uh, gives you a sense that something is going on here that is different. So here's what I thought I would do. I would just kind of, I, 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 I would unpack a little bit the attitude and the posture that is being described in, 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 that, in, in, that, um, in that picture of the church getting off the ground. And what I'd like to do is I'd just like to go back to a verse in the Old Testament that I think summarizes well exactly what these people decided to do. And then what I would like to do is take that verse and ask you to join in to that same level of commitment. And it's an easy verse. It's one you've heard before. It is actually called the crowning jewel of the book of Proverbs. Uh, because everything that the writer of Proverbs says is premised on these, these two verses. And so in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Anybody ever hear this phrase before? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not a, it's an easier, it's an easier thing said than done, isn't it? And as you think about trust, if you were here last week, um, we know that trust, as I use that acronym, BRAVING, uh, trust has a lot of components to it. And we all have varying degrees of trustworthiness. 
and untrustworthiness. And most of us would say, I am never 100% trusting of anyone because I just know how people are. We're not entirely, constantly reliable. And having never experienced a completely reliable person, sometimes it's hard for us to think, well, how can I trust God 100% when I know that everyone in my world from one point or time uh, to another has let me down? Yet the Lord is saying, you have to trust me with all your heart. And as God is pulling us into a relationship with him, it is a relationship that doesn't involve our five, sen five, five senses primarily, you know, the ability to see and the, the ability to touch, to be able to, the ability to, to smell and, and so forth. Rather, it is God's way of saying, I have some truths that I've revealed to you in the scripture that are based on the testimony of the life of Jesus. And these are truths that sink deep down into your soul. And when you hear them, you just know that makes sense. And you begin to trust it. But some of us, we have trust issues. So we have to, we have to kind of work through this. It's like any relationship, I think. Anybody remember when you first started dating that special someone in your life? Remember how it was? Remember the moment you met? You remember the occasion? Do you remember the conversations afterwards? Do you remember the going out together and, and talking? And do you remember when a person would say, I'm going to pick you up at 7 o'clock? And you're waiting and you're thinking, all right, now it begins. And at 7 o'clock, they don't show. 7.05, they don't show. And what are you thinking? You're starting to think, I'm attracted to this person, but I'm already starting to wonder, are they trustworthy, right? And maybe it's 7.10, maybe it's 7.30, maybe it's 8 o'clock before they show up. Or maybe, if they do show up at 8 o'clock, they better have a good excuse. But perhaps they showed up at 7 o'clock promptly, and you're like, okay, that was the first trust test, wasn't it? And then you have a series of encounters with each other. And over time, you start to size them up, and you start to see patterns of trustworthiness, don't you? Whether or not they are uh, going to keep their word, whether or not they're going to be on time, whether or not they're reliable, whether or not um, they practice what they preach. All those things you're sizing up. And, and if you're careful, you're able to get a sense of whether or not this person is someone that you should truly spend the rest of your life with. And many of us have made those choices. And we've come to the conclusion that, yeah, I'm not perfect, but hey, neither am I. However, they're trustworthy enough. And then we make that commitment. And as a result of that, you find the deeper things like loyalty and responsibility. And when you are in a crisis, whether or not they're going to have your back or whether they're going to run. And did you know that all of those things come into play when it comes to God? I don't know whose car that is, but just quit. So 
that was interesting. All of those things come into play when it comes to God because God is, well, He's saying, try me. Try me and see whether or not I'm trustworthy. And it really is that place where we begin to make steps. And some of us say, I've heard the good news. The good news makes a lot of sense. I'm being pulled towards it. But the good news is also telling me to turn away from things that I, I had sort of trusted or I had, I had valued. And it's telling me to begin to move in a different direction. Something called repentance. And as I do that, I'm saying, what is it about you, God, that makes you so trustworthy and so worthy that I can, I can begin to move away from the things that I cherish. And God may be saying, you got to trust me that there are better things in store. And maybe it's the same with your relationship with people here on earth. That person that you married, or that friendship. And you're saying, I'm, I'm learning to trust more and more. And as the people who gathered from the temple in that in that upper room and, and they and they and they began to celebrate and they began to acknowledge they said Jesus is trustworthy. He did die, he did come back from the grave, he did join us for 40 days, he did everything he could possibly do except to tell us that he's leaving, but you gotta trust me. I'm giving you my spirit who is invisible, but nonetheless you'll sense enabling you. Now I'm like everyone else in this room. I trust God. I continue to trust God. But there are places in my life where I'm not, I'm not totally trusting Him all the way. And if you take all the years that I've been a believer, I think you could define it as moments where God says, you got to trust me here. You gotta trust me here. If you're, if if you Leonard are looking for uh, someone to spend your life with, you gotta trust me there. If you are having kids now, you gotta trust me that I I'm gonna help you raise them and take care of them. And then as they grow and go out on their own, you gotta trust me that I'm gonna help them along the way. As you think about all of your financial responsibilities, you gotta trust me that I'm gonna help you with that. As you think about your own future and the uncertainties, you got to trust me. And all of those real-world things God is telling us, trust me with all your heart. And then he says, anybody know how this goes? Anybody want to just weigh in? Trust the Lord with all your heart and, and do not lean on your own understanding. Now this is very hard. Uh, especially for me, because I, I do tend to think a lot, and, 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 and I can even be a know-it-all sometimes. And God is saying, you, there are places, Leonard, where you, you don't know it all, and you've got you've to trust me. But here, here's how I would equate it. There's a, there was an article that came out a while back, and it was called um, The 178 Second Rule. And, and it was the, the upshot of, a, of an experiment that happened between uh, 20 pilots who were put into a flight simulator. And all of these pilots were very good at flying without instrument rating. And uh, they were anticipating 
uh, going through the process of their own instrument rating, but they hadn't been there. But they've been flying for a long time. And they put them in a simulator, and they said, all right, we're going to throw conditions at you where you're going to use your own understanding to fly the plane out of it. And all of these very seasoned pilots, um, to a person, it only took them 178 seconds before they crashed the plane. And these are, these are guys that have been doing it for a long time. Because they weren't using their instruments, they were just using their own judgment that they had cultivated from all of the hours that they'd been in the plane. And yet, ironically, 178 seconds, how long is that? Any mathematicians in the room? What is it? Not quite three minutes. So how would you like to be flying with that person? Knowing that conditions are such that they'll require some instrumentation and they're not rated for it. It's like saying, you got about three minutes to say your prayers before the Lord says, it's time for a change of venue. And yet, all of those pilots were, were really shook, shaken up by that because their, their, their judgment told them, you know, uh, you need to veer left or you need to veer right or you need to pull up or you need to, or you need to fly down. And, and time after time, uh, you hear stories in aviation where even instrument-rated people will begin to follow what their own instincts tell them they should do. And then when they do the... When they do the assessment of the uh, the, 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 the wreckage uh, upon um, the, the, the plane crashing into the earth, invariably they'll come up with this sense that yeah, they thought they were flying at a at a on, on a horizontal plane and they were actually flying flying vertically downward and they just crashed right into the ground. I'm only belaboring the point to help us realize that our understanding is. It's helpful, but it's definitely not enough. Now, when I say everyone has a point of view, what do you think about that? When I say the word point of view, it just means in that broad sphere of places that you can look at things, somewhere in that sphere is one little point, <laughs> and that's you. Or that's me. And you know what that tells us? It tells us that we have a very limited take on the way things truly are. We need help. And the writer of Proverbs wrote the whole book with the idea that we can't, we can't from our own point of view, from our own limited and oftentimes misguiding understanding, make sense of what's happening around us. And so we need to lean on something a little more reliable. Thankfully, for thousands of years, we've had something called the Holy Bible. And it is, for my the 30 years that I've been a believer, it has been my reliable go-to. I don't know about you, but whenever I have a problem personally, when I have a challenge as a pastor, when I'm trying to make sense of things around me, I've never found the Bible to let me down. It's always been a vehicle to hear the voice of God and to see His reasoning. 
And the early church said, hey, apostles' doctrine. Don't lean on your own understanding. You guys need to gather. You need to gather around the Word. And you need to see how the view of the Word helps your point of view. Helps you to be instrument-rated for the things that life's going to throw at you that you think you can make sense of, but in reality, you're just going to crash the plane. And so God's saying, trust in me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, I, I think if you were to look inside my brain, there would be two files. And one file would be all the stupid things that Leonard has done. And it's a pretty deep file. It's, it's the things that I, I made choices that I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Or why didn't I think that through? Or why didn't I ask for help? It's the things that when I, when I look in the rearview mirror, I say, oh, man, I have some regrets. And it's the file that says, I know you put the label stupid things that Leonard has done. But it's also subtitled, School of Hard Knocks slash education because it's the way that God has pulled me through the laboratory of life and said the consequences of what you do because everything you do has them are not so great are they when you do stupid things and then underneath that is another is another subtitle that says also another route to wisdom. And the wisdom is, I'm going to trust God here. But here's the thing. A lot of times, the stupid things that I've done are things that I've, I've put a, I put a no trespassing sign on. And I've said, God, you can have all of my life except for this. This I want to hold on to. It could be something as, um, as noble as your career aspirations, but not thinking how God factors that in. As, as noble as, as how you save and manage your money, and not factor God in. As, 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 really, as, as great as trying to make relationships work with your own wisdom, but not factoring God in. Or... Maybe it's something as personal as your own sexuality. You're saying, this is a no trash plus passing place. I'm not going to let you in here. Or you can take any number of things that you hold sacred and you say, God, don't meddle with this area. And you know what God's saying? I'm not going to meddle with that area, but I just want to assure you that if you trust me in that area, well, it, it'll go well with you. But if you don't trust me, if you don't pull up that no trespassing sign and invite me into that area, you're going to continue adding papers to the file that says stupid things that Leonard has done over the course of his lifetime. And maybe you have one of those files too, I don't know. But there's also a file in there that says Things that I've done that I trusted God that I trusted God with, and can I tell you that in every one of those files, God has proven Himself trustworthy. Every one of them. 
There is not a situation or circumstance that I've found myself in, that I've walked into because I've been trying to honor God, that God hasn't said, maybe it's at 11.59, I'm going to work this together for good. And do you know? He always does. And it's good to keep that file handy because it is a reminder that God is trustworthy in every part of your life. Don't just lean on your own understanding. It may seem wise for now, but in the end, it's full of holes. And so the early church said, we've been there, we've done that, and Jesus gives us sufficient reason to begin to trust you, God, in a fresh way. Because he put a face on who you are. And in every way, proved himself trustworthy. And God was well pleased. So there's a third part of this verse, and it says what? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Starting from the time you get up in the morning, saying, God, I'm inviting you into my day. To when you get in the shower, to when you eat your breakfast, to when you go out the door, to when you begin your day, you're saying, God, are you with me? God, can you help me? God, can you lead me? God, here's a challenge right here. I'm kind of timid or I'm not sure. Or I, I, my, my understanding is, is telling me I, I maybe, maybe not. And God, help me. And God is so reliable that in every way that is all your ways, He's saying, you can trust me here. You can trust me here. And so we acknowledge Him. And then as we do that, He begins to show us the way. So I'll, I'll, I'll come to the end of this message because the early church, when they gathered, they acknowledged the Lord through the Word. They acknowledged the Lord through the fellowship. And they asked God, God, you're working in these relationships, aren't you? Well, I'm finding as I'm getting close to this person, they're kind of a sandpaper person. And I'm not so sure I want to be, on, be around them. God may be saying, no, I put you there because they need you and you need them. Just acknowledge me in the process. And as they met for fellowship and the word and they acknowledged him they began to see that every time they met around the Lord's table how profoundly important it is for us to recognize blood and the body of Christ to do the life that we're called to to relate to God as we're supposed to relate to God. To relate to one another as forgiven people at the foot of the cross. To know that there is a circle around us called a covenant that defines us as his people. And we acknowledge you in that. And then prayer. And every time they prayed, it wasn't just a selfish kid prayer, Lord, you know, give me this and I want that. And sure, that's a great place to start. But it began to be a prayer for them that recognized the realities that they couldn't sense with their five senses. It was 
life to their path that their understanding couldn't provide. So the last part of this goes like this. And he will make straight your paths. And I've been hiking a lot with my friend uh, Bob and Bob's friends Bob and Heath, Heath Martin. And they've taken me to some pretty interesting, scary, uncertain places. And I guess it's a testimony to their kindness that I've come back. Um, but they've been good guides for me because if I had trekked on some of the places that they led me through, I'd probably still be out there walking in a big circle. But they knew the way and they showed me how to do it. And this is where we need each other because when we read this, we can personalize it and say, yeah, I'm acknowledging God on the personal level. But I'm also acknowledging that you're working through other people around you. And together, through your spirit, you are helping us all to make straight our paths. And as God works through us, as he aligns us, as he helps us to trust him and then begin to trust each other, as we become more trustworthy, all of a sudden the path becomes clearer. But it's like anything in life. If you don't know anything about it, you don't know where to begin or where to end, how to orient yourself. You don't know what it means. You don't know the language. You don't know the vocabulary. You don't know the way of thinking. And that's why we're here. We're here to the limited degree that we can to offer you that guidance that leads you first to Him and then together guidance that we draw on collectively as we walk with Him. And so as I think about the early church and the path that they were on, it was a path of uncertainty. And can you imagine how excited everybody was until very quickly all of a sudden the law is clamping down on them and saying, you can't do this. And the religious leaders are clamping down on them and saying, you know what, you keep doing this and you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. And the more that they persisted, the more they found resistance. But somehow, somehow, their trust in God prevailed. And their path remain clear despite everything. And if there was ever a time, people, that we've ever, that, that I've lived in, that the path has been muddy, it's been now. This is crazy chaos time. And if there was ever a time where we needed a sure guide, it's been now. And if there was ever a time that I was grateful that I have a clear path, to the God who loves us so much that he's paved the way for us that I've ever been confident that the way that he offers is the way. And maybe God is saying, it's time for you to stop leaning on your own understanding and start leaning on me.